0: Welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech. I'm your host, Vani Estes, Vice President of Innovation for the International Fresh Produce Association. On the podcast, we get to hear from people that are shaping the produce industry with solutions to our biggest problems. Join me as we uncover the opportunities and advancements shaping the future of produce through a tech lens. Welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech, where insight meets innovation. Hello, this is Bonnie Esteson. I'm your host of Fresh Takes on Tech podcast. This season, we are focusing on renewable packaging. What's now? What's new? And what's going to be in the future? Today, we will be examining PLU stickers. If you are in the produce industry, you know, but if you're not, PLU stickers are those little stickers on your fruits and vegetables. These now universal stickers were introduced to ensure accuracy in the prices that consumers are charged for fresh produce that is sold loose in supermarkets. Each one is printed with a price lookup or PLU code, which helps cashiers quickly distinguish the product. PLU stickers are having a moment right now. There seems to be a number of articles out there about what happens if you eat them. There was an article recently in Bon Appetit that featured IFPA CSO Max Toplitsky talking about don't worry if you eat them. Then there was another article last month as well in Yahoo. So people are talking about PLU stickers. But more seriously, they are also in the spotlight because some of the European countries are starting to mandate that PLU stickers on fruits and vegetables must be home compostable. So that's got a lot of people talking and people in the produce industry in the U S that if other nations start to follow and pass these legislations, then it'll be a problem to export fruit and vegetables to those countries. So here to talk about PLU stickers today are two people that Think PLU stickers are always having a moment, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So we have Scott from the Director of Research and Development at Sinclair. And we have Rob Bainey, General Manager of AccuLabel International. It'd be great if you guys would just introduce yourselves a little bit and your companies. Rob, why don't we start with you?
1: Thanks, Bonnie. Yeah, My name is Rob Bainey. I'm a General Manager, VP of Sales of AccuLabel. Aculebel's been in business now for the last 22 years and our claim to fame is we were one of the first uh, paper-based PLU companies out there uh, with high-speed applications so you know our president our founder like you had mentioned before he was uh, he wanted his children to make sure if they're going to eat a PLU it was a paper-based PLU and that's pretty much how the company was founded it was off of uh, his son actually biting into an apple
0: oh interesting and Scott, how about you? Tell us about yourself and a little bit about the company.
2: All right. So I, my name is Scott Howarth, and I direct research and development for Sinclair. I've been with the company actually next year. I can't believe it will be my 30th year. And wow. uh, we've been in business for probably just over 40 years. So I've seen a lot of the the growth and the changes and And now here we go again, some more changes, but uh, Sinclair has of course the labeling solution, but we kind of look at it in three tiers. We provide the fresh produce labels and then the equipment that applies the fruit at high speeds. And then of course the service that goes with that. And we've got locations in, uh, I think uh, it's uh, now eight manufacturing sites around the world. So wherever fruits grown, we're there.
0: Excellent, thanks. So, Scott, for listeners that don't really live PLU stickers, please tell people kind of how the concept came and, and when it came and what was the initial purpose behind their implementation.
2: Yeah, OK. Yeah, that was a great question. I started researching this it, just to kind of solidify what I thought was the real deal. And I went all the way back to the early 1900s and found one of the first fruit labels was a banana label for Fife. And I was like blown away. I was like, holy cow. I couldn't believe they were that old. So they've been used for quite a while. And those uh, initial foyer into that was all about branding. And that's how we got started. It was about branding. Some of our big customers were big brands like Sunkiss, Dull, people like that, or companies like that. And then about 1990, that's when the PLU came into existence. So... Interesting. That's kind of the start.
0: So, Rod, can you explain the process of assigning the different codes on the the different fruits and vegetables and how can that ensure accuracy and standardization across the industry?
1: Yeah, so there's actually a board, not a board of directors, but it's actually a a group of people, individuals, the IFPS, which Scott and I are both uh, proud to be part of. So there's actually a full process there where you have to apply for a PLU. So it's not that not just a random person can, you know, come out and say, hey, I want to put a a new product or I want to create a new PLU. There's a whole process behind it where um, you have to come out with something that's unique, that's not on the market yet. You have to have retailers behind you and you actually have to grow enough of it to, to be registered for a PLU.
0: Oh, interesting. Huh. And the different like for a consumer to look at a PLU, what would it tell me? Does it tell me anything as a consumer? The numbers?
2: That's kind of tough. Just the numbers themselves, I think the only thing that that a consumer can really look for is if it has five numbers, and that first number is a nine. And that first number, if it's a nine, will indicate that it's organic. And that's yeah. a real quick clue. AccuLabel and Sinclair, we do a lot of hard work, making sure all a lot of other information is on that produce label as well, the the variety, what it is, you know, so that the customer, when they look at that PLU, yeah, they don't really know. It's really for the retailer. Yeah, so okay.
0: Excellent. So either one of you, how to, or both of you, how do PLU stickers contribute to food safety and traceability in the in the supply chain?
1: Yeah, so that's a, actually a great question because like Scott mentioned, you, you've got a lot of information that's on that PLU. You've got the marketer that's usually a logo on that PLU that's got the marketer on there. It's got the country of origin on there. And, and a lot of marketers now are actually putting codes, trace codes on there. So a natural product can be traced back to a packing house or the, the farm, depending on how detailed the marketer goes with their, with their lot information. We've got some customers on there that with our print and apply option, they actually print the pack on dates or, or some sort of Julian date or a run number that they can trace back to the field, the, the grower, the packer, the date of, the, of production. So if there is a recall, you can actually trace it back to farm level. And can get, get more accurate and get more, uh, you know, more detailed uh, information that way.
0: Is that required or is that just what some producers do so that they can track back, right?
1: Yeah, it's not required.
2: Yeah, even, you know, one of the things I was going to add is data bar, which is a, a little barcode. That was kind of like the third evolution of a produce label, which kind of came in about a little over 10 years ago or so the data bar has a G10 encoded into it. That's, that is a form of traceability, but it doesn't go, it only goes back to the marketer. So that G10 in there uh, goes back to the marketer and, and really what it, it does two, two really big things. One is it allows at point of sale to be easily scanned. And then the second thing, it, it really allows the retailer to, to do some inventory management and things like that. I wanna be clear. Just it doesn't go all the way back to the farm like uh, Rod. You need to have like through a a print and apply or print on demand system. We both have those kind of systems that allow you to to trace it all the way back to the farm. Right.
0: So do you think more are you seeing more companies that are doing that? Because that sounds like a huge advantage for companies to be able, you know, when we have these outbreaks to be able to know exactly where, you know, to trace it back.
2: I can only speak for Sinclair's side. I mean, we we do have a good group of customers up in the Northwest of the US, primarily in the Apple market, as well as the Northeast, again, primarily on apples, because there's so many different different varieties of apples, right? And I would say the prim- primarily the the use of the print on demand is really to to get that efficiency in their operations and not so much adding that. A code that traces for for trace back. I think they they did it as an almost like an insurance prop policy in case it started to get regulated.
0: Mm-hmm. Rod, what about you? What it, what are you saying?
1: Yeah, that's exactly what Scott said. There, it's it's not uh, as widespread as as it maybe it should be. You know, the technology is there from from both of our companies. I just think it's not as a uh, as a common. Feature or or accepted right now as as it should be. I mean, there is a lot of information that can be put on these PLUs, and and I think the the next, I mean, we're this is maybe a little premature, but the next variation of the PLUs might have uh, the two two D or QR codes on there, and and when you go to that step uh, that phase of it, I think you'll be have you'll have more information that's on that PLU that people can scan and get more more out of it.
0: Do you think that will be consumer-friendly use, or do you think that's still going to be mostly for the retailer, like if we had QR codes on there?
2: It's going to be for both. It automatically, especially if our our customers end up using the uh, GS1 digital links, that has the ability to, you know, just like a QR code, you go to the restaurant, you scan it, you get the, you drives you to their menu, and and you have that instant ability to interact with that customer. The same with the, the produce label. You'll be able, you know, a customer will be able to, to scan it and jump to the, say, like uh, a grower packers website and have that direct to consumer kind of interaction. So yeah, it'll be there.
0: How far in the future do you think that is?
2: So I think it's uh, 2026 20. now. Or Seriously? seven. Yeah, yeah, I get it mixed up. They, they've moved it out uh, yeah. a little bit, but that's that's like a target date for having all of retailers having the capability to scan.
1: Right. Oh, okay. And
2: so I think that's I, I would say that's kind of where it's driving towards, you know, that,
0: that'll, that'll drive
2: it. Yeah. But we already have customers utilizing QR and other types of 2Ds, 2D codes, but that's primarily in, in places like China. Where where it's already pretty accepted, and they and they actually do traceability right back to the backhouse with that,
0: huh? And that's on. Is all that on a sticker the size of our PLU stickers, or is that absolutely on pet? Pa- it is. Right. Oh, Just interesting. Just that
2: little label, yeah. And huh. uh, they're actually systems built into the the lines that are scanning the codes in real time, so that we actually do printing. You know, you can do print and apply, or you can do preprint. We preprint a lot of codes each one's uh, an individual code and allows the that pack house in particular to uh, scan it and then they do all kinds of things with that for for trace back and kind of promotional sales like uh, lotteries and things like that
0: so why are we behind in the u.s like if it's if it's accepted and being used i mean obviously the technology's there right so what what's kind of slowing things down here
1: that's a great question. I'll, uh, <laughs> I can, I can, yes. Uh,
2: I mean, I just think it's, uh, you know, the just the acceptability of it, and and you know, I mean, I think uh, QR codes here in the U.S. hit a kind of a, a peak for a while, but it really wasn't until the pandemic yeah. came about, and that they really exploded again, and the, this full-on acceptance of it. So.
0: Yeah, I think certainly at the consumer level, I'm, I'm amazed. I mean, when you go into a hel- hotel room now and there's just, they don't have, there's nothing printed out. There's just QR codes all around the hotel yeah. room, you know, but you want to know about this, you know, here's the QR code and, and restaurants. Yeah. It's just, yeah, like everybody's used to using them. So, so maybe it'll catch on. Do you think that's going to be something that will, that there's going to be a requirement you were saying in 2026 or 27? Is that, is that? A requirement by retailers or who who would no, require
2: it? it it's all voluntary, but i I think it's you know it, it's the industry trying to catch up you know to technology and I know when we went through data bar i mean it was it was available back in the late nineties, and it wasn't it took years to get the retailers you know our grocery stores here in North America to really get to where they could scan and then even then. You know, in like 2010, you know, kind of when it kind of hit, it took a number of years before the stores actually really started utilizing. It. And I think, you you know, you can go in stores now and see them scanning. And that's most likely due to all the self-checkout.
0: Right. Oh, yeah. 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 that's Which so, is driven by lack of labor as well. So yep. it's, you know, things are driven by different so, things, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Huh. Well, the the main reason we're talking about PLU stickers in this particular podcast is in the context around some of the bans in Europe on plastic and the development of the compostable label. And I know it's a big issue that you all are dealing with. So Rob, let's start with you. And can you explain what's going on in Europe and how your company is responding? And of course, mention your your recent announcement and how your paper-based label kind of
1: fits in with all of this. Yeah, so so Europe, I guess they've been on the forefront of trying to get the single-use plastic banned. And, I mean, a hot topic was PLU stickers. They went after uh, plastic trays, plastic bags. So it, it, was, it was a wide range of uh, products that they were going after. But in our discussion, in our business, PLUs was our hot topic. And, and it wasn't that they jumped the gun. I, I think they, they put a lot of mandates in place that we weren't ready to react on yet. Um, you know, to come out and say you have to have a compostable sticker, a industrial or home compostable sticker. I mean, it's just doesn't it didn't I mean, it exists now to a certain degree, but it doesn't exist to the way that they want it. The biggest hang up right now on all of our companies is, is the adhesive. You know, there's there's the paper stock, there's the inks and then there's the adhesive. And that's the hang up right now is is on the adhesive to get something that's fully compostable. So what Europe has come up with, or what they've started with, it's it's got to be an industrial compostable sticker for now. There is an exemption on the adhesive, or it's got to be a pulp-based product. You know, ours being a, a paper-based PLU sticker falls under the pulp category. So as of right now, it is exempted. It is accepted, but it's constantly changing. <laughs> we're we're all we, we think we're getting there, and then then the regulations change and and a lot of a lot of that's got to do with there's no standard legislation being put you know being put up front w- across the globe every single country every single region's coming up with their own theories or or the own mandates and and we're all trying to react to those mandates right now and and i think that's the that's the hang up on both of our companies well i don't want to speak for scott but but that's that's the big hang up right now is you know try to find a solution that works for everybody
0: Thanks. So, Scott, how are you responding and how are, how are you seeing the problem here?
1: Yeah,
2: we see it the same way. When we first started uh, jumping into this and, and the regulations hit, especially the one from France, which, was, which started out as, you know, it had to be home compostable, which was very different from the rest of Europe. You know, I don't know what your home looks like, but uh, each of our homes in different places, I mean, Rod. So what is the
0: definition of home compostable? <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. What's Uh, the definition of home compostable? Like what, do we know what that means? Does anyone really know what that means?
2: Yeah. So, well, that's, that's, that's a great point. You know, you really have to come, you know, the first thing we did is we started researching standards, you know, because if you're going to make something, you got to make it, you know, in a standard way. And so when we first started, they really weren't there and it took a few years. And, you know, one of the things I was going to admit to here is, or kind of let General public know is this is still very young, this whole thing in the young industry, you know. Just like Rod mentioned, the materials, the polymers that go into make home compostable plastics and things like that, and home compostable adhesives, you know, they're new. You know, they, they, we're at the cutting edge, and so, you know, I think uh, the the standard that has come about now really talks about very similar to the industrial standard but it talks about home composting taking place at about 20 25 degrees C which is about you know just over room temperature and that they give it a a bit longer time to disintegrate and to biodegradate. you know so the the standard still looks at biodegradation which is is it biodegradable does it disintegrate in amount of time and so for home opposed to industrial industrial is like you know 3 months for, for home composting, it's six months. So biodegradation, instead of six months, it's a year. So they just in, in lower the temperature and increase the amount of time. Uh, okay. Okay. So, yeah, Sinclair, we've had the same issues. You know, the, the materials are hard to source and hard to find. But we had this uh, rapid development. We've initially developed a home compostable, a certified home compostable uh, material it worked on some products, but not everything, but we, we do have a new product that's going to be coming online here very soon that meets both industrial and home certifications.
0: So where does the legislation stand? I mean, I heard that France had passed legislation, but then they're backing up a little bit and then other countries are maybe coming along. So how do you satisfy a moving target like that?
2: Oh. <laughs> yeah, good luck, right? <laughs> you know, they backed off on, on really the adhesive. And that's the same with a lot of places around the world because I think the industry uh, started, you know, really, you know, and, and I have to say thanks to Max and Ed Tracy for going out there and uh, lobbying for us and really making it known that, you know, they're pushing these regulations way ahead of the development that, that's that's taking place out there. So, you know, that's one of the ways that we've responded. We've really asked for help. From the industry at large to, to to go lobby on our our behalf,
0: yeah, that, and that's one of the the issues that are good with trade associations because it's really it really is a benefit to all of you. You know, it's Absolutely. not to any yeah. any one company. So, yeah, Rod, what about North America? I mean, do you foresee these regulations coming up in in Canada and, and the U.S.?
1: Yeah, so I mean, North America, it's, it's actually looking might like, like it might be a little bit more difficult because what we have happening in, in the u.s especially we've got each state doing their own mandates <laughs> so so something that's you know we're trying to shoot or, or or make something that works for New York won't meet California standards or vice versa <laughs> so so I mean that, that's oh, what And that we're makes trade right it
0: impossible that's a nightmare
1: it's hundred percent impossible so so yeah. again then you have a lot of states that are trying to get ahead of it you know trying to be proactive but until you know, Canada, US, and Mexico make their own statements as a whole, like Scott said, you know, we could be working on something that's you know, industrial compostable where New York says it's gotta be home compostable. So we are trying to make everybody happy right now, but you know, un- until we get to that point where you know, a common legislation or common standard is made, it's not that we're grasping at straws. We have solutions, but it's not a standard solution.
0: Yeah. And the adhesive, Scott, from a technical point of view, what kind of adhesive could be home compostable? Like what what's the chemistry that you'd be able to develop there? <laughs> Rod wishes. No to... trade secrets. But...
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no. I mean, yeah. is, is
0: it possible? I guess is my question. And, you know, are you well, working on that?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, we're working hard on this. We've got multiple developments in line. And I would say that, you know, we're getting closer and closer to having a, uh, I mean, we've got solutions that we've developed. Now it's really about trying to see, can we scale them? Can you make them in right. quantities? Do they work across the board all the time? You know, it's one thing having, you know, something sticky. It's another thing, putting it on uh, your materials and, and, you know, making it day in and day out, you know? So there are a, a number of different polymers out there that, uh, people have been working on. I won't speak them out loud, but, <laughs> but there are, yeah. and there's some natural, you know, some bio-based products as well. And those are, you know, we've definitely looked at those as well.
0: Rod, anything else that you guys are looking at?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, like, Scott pretty much hit on it there, you know. And and the the big key is you you have to stick on different surfaces. Yeah. So you know, a different temperatures, stick, different
0: moisture, yeah. right? On <laughs> an
1: apple, I mean, not necessarily will stick on a on a peach or a kiwi that's you know fuzzy or hairy or or a fruit that gets washed first, you know, and and then try to put a sticker on it. So you know, again, we are trying to find that solution. You know, it's it's the magic bullet that'll work for everything, but it's, uh, it's it's a little tricky.
0: Yeah. Well, as we wrap up here, this has been a great conversation. Scott, anything you think people should know about PLU stickers that, that they may not know or you want to point out?
2: Yeah. Well, I think one thing that comes to mind, I probably could sit here and talk all day about PLU. <laughs> <to be point laughs> on. That's the scary thing. But... <laughs> I think that there's so many things that, that you can do with these things, you know, uh, I, and we talked a little bit about the QR codes and, and kind of the, the, where, where the future could go. I think that people don't realize and if, if there was one thing I would love for people in the, you know, the, in consumers to be able to understand how this helps them at the point of sale, that it does really help them out. It, it allows them and it's it's the minimalist amount of packaging you can have. So if you're really concerned about it being sustainable, you know, this little label is so lightweight and so uh, takes up so many, so few resources, but does such a huge job for the industry.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like if you think about, I'm sure someone's done the calculation, but if all of those pieces of fruit had to be in some sort of single-use plastic or a clamshell, how much plastic would be using? So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Rod, what about you? Any last thoughts on what you'd want people to know?
1: Yeah, no, like Scott said, I mean, they are they are an important piece of information. You know, me being in the packaging industry for many years, you know, just the last couple of years in PLUs. It's a lot of information that can be utilized. And I think the next generation of PLUs will actually even be more powerful. You know, it's it's uh, there's a lot of information that can be put on these, and I, I think I think we'll get there. You know, if the customers being able to scan and, and get recipes and getting, you know, where it's growing, all that information, I think will be key in the future. So it's, it's not just a little sticker to identify the produce, but I think there can be used for much more down the road.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you both. I really appreciate the conversation and appreciate the, the work that you both do. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Al. Thank you, Bonnie.
0: That's it for today's Fresh Takes on Tech. This entire season of the podcast focusing on issues associated with green packaging is supported in part by a grant from the USDA FAS Technical Assistance for Specialty Crops Program. Eat
1: your vegetables and I'll see you next time.